go above and beyond for them, for the social workers, for the doctors, and for the nurses. Treat their issue or concern for the family as your own, especially when they haven't made a choice in funeral home. This will set your business apart from others. Don't try to sell them on anything on those calls. Provide credible, trustworthy information calmly and let the chips fall where they may. That is a credibility and trustworthiness approach that goes a long way over time to building that rapport with those workers. They will remember that you help them and that will grow your reputation in their hospice community, in their individual hospice interdisciplinary groups. And over time, that will germinate in their office and solidify your reputation at their organization. Yeah. And that that helps you in the long run to be in favor with that hospice yeah. and get you more families. Welcome to the Direct Cremation Podcast with your hosts, Tyler Yamasaki and Will DeMichaelis. Thank you for joining us today on the Direct Cremation Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Yamasaki, CEO of Parting Pro. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Will DeMichaelis, former manager of the Omega Society, a cremation brand that at its peak served over 4,500 families in a single year. Today, um, we're going to tap into a small part of Will's knowledge to understand how a company grows to serving 4,500 families in a single year. As a business owner myself, I know that you do not become one of the largest companies in an industry by mistake. Each step in your growth is deliberate and calculated. This calculated approach is how Will was able to become the number one ally with hospices in Southern California and create a competitive moat amongst the competition. Today, we'll discuss how you can maximize the ROI on hospice outreach and grow for free in today's competitive death care market. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm doing well, Tyler. How are you doing? Uh, I'm really excited because I think today is probably going to be one of the most important episodes of our podcast so far. Yeah. I think if there's going to be one episode that funeral homes need to listen to, it's probably going to be this one. Yeah. And like before we get into the tactical side of all of this, which we will get to, as a funeral home, why should you care about hospice? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think this is going to be one of our more impactful episodes of the podcast, too. Um, and I think the best way to frame it, it is to kind of understand why you should care about hospice as a funeral homeowner. For me, that answer is pretty simple. Um, and I, I know that a lot of uh, listeners probably already know this, but I think it's good to be constantly reminded of it. Hospice and its workers are, are the people that are helping your families before they interact with you. They deal with death and dying every day, just like you do. I think it's good to have a deep understanding of the hospices in your area because these are an extension of your business in a sense. They are helping the families that you are going to help very soon. And it's best to understand how they operate so that you can serve them the best that you can and in turn their families. I think that's a fundamental alignment of purpose in your businesses. And it's good to keep revisiting that and nurturing that relationship. Okay. I guess to take a step further, how much of an impact was having a good relationship with hospice on your business? It was pivotal to our business 
personally, we saw hospice as the best way to build our brand by acknowledging that they deal with our clientele exclusively and on a daily basis. From that perspective, I think it makes the most sense to have strong relationships with those entities. And there's a number of ways that you can do that, and not all of them are created equal. And we did um, something that's pretty unique um, and not found in a lot of funeral homes, and it worked out really, really well for us. Okay. Well, we'll get to that for sure. Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. But let's kind of go back. For those that don't already know, who is on the hospice team and how do they interact with your future family? Yeah, it's a great, great question. So part of understanding hospice um, is understanding how those organizations are made up and who's on those teams. So an average hospice team is going to have a doctor so some sort of medical professional, this is the doctor that is receiving or is giving each patient its care plan and supervising that end of life process for every patient. Uh, they provide a complete care plan for the patient and write prescriptions for any medications they need. And lastly, when the patient passes away, they're the ones to sign the death certificate. Hospice also employ social workers. Social workers provide emotional and psychosocial support to the patients and their families. They coordinate the logistics of the patient's care, working with any type of like insurance companies, the VA, and help families with their finances and planning for end-of-life arrangements, including recommending or picking funeral homes based on the services they want. Nurses very important to the care team. They provide like the intimate care for the patient, uh, especially at home. They also deliver medications, which is a huge advantage to hospice. You don't actually have to have family members go out and every week and get medication. This service actually pays for that medication to be delivered to the home. They probably do the most amount of patient visits. Um, they manage comfort and pain for the patient and their during their time on hospice. They're trained listeners, just like social workers, and they help doctors chart the progress of the patient and even help present causes of death at the time of passing. Some lesser known roles in hospice are the chaplain, which is like a spiritual resource for life and the death process. I've always found that these are very versatile individuals. It doesn't really they don't really care what denomination of Christian you are or any religion or spiritual journey you're on. They just want to be of service to the patient and provide them a listening ear. And then you have volunteers, bereavement specialists, and various admins in-house. And all of these sort of provide support structures for those other critical roles in hospice. Cool. Yeah. It, it's a lot and a lot goes into it. And they generally do a good job serving families. Got it. So it sounds like the social worker is almost like doing the arrangement before the arrangements. Yeah, I'd say that the social workers and nurses do the majority of it, uh, mostly social workers, mm -hmm. but uh, some nurse involvement as well. Okay. To, well, to each member of the hospice team, 
How do you think they view the funeral home in the relationship with the family? I'd say the most impactful would be social workers. So we can kind of start there. Mm -hmm. Um, They want the entire interaction with the funeral home to go smoothly, or they will hear about it. And they don't want negative feedback from a family that they recommended a location to. So they want to make sure that in that process of recommending several funeral homes, that everyone in that on that list is reputable and will provide a level of service commensurate to the level of hospice service that they provide because they will be benchmarked against that. And they want that experience to go smoothly for families because they care. Yeah. And I want to chime in just to be clear that we all know that we're not supposed to, they're not supposed to recommend one. Of course. But if you are asking about, you know, there, there is areas where we know that if there's 20 and they're asking about price or ones that they know have done a good job, they are going to be honest mm-hmm. because they are putting somewhat of their name on right. a group of yeah. 10 that they're recommending. Of course, of course. Yeah. And I think a lot of that manifests itself in very innocuous ways. Like if you have a list of five or six places that you're recommending to a family, if they think that you're the best choice, they may just say, and just make sure that you call this one along with the other ones. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily a, anything definitive, but they can definitely help you in that decision or make sure that you at least open yourself to what they think would be a very good choice for your family. And they want you to make, they want to make sure you make that call. And as for nurses, they want to make sure that when they're out in the field doing a report of a passing, that a funeral home will answer their phone and a, if need be, a transport specialist will arrive at that residence to make the death call and bring the body into the care of the funeral home. It's really first and foremost. And they don't want that process to take a long time. And they just want the funeral home to be responsive because they, they get those calls at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. We know this. And they want to be able to give the funeral home the necessary information on the death call and then move about their evening and, and make sure that the family has the help they need. Doctors, pretty minimal involvement with the funeral home, but it's really important that you manage the, that relationship when it comes to death certificates. You really want to make the doctor's ability to sign a death certificate and give causes of death to be as seamless as possible. And there's a few ways to do that, but really it's just being nice to them, making sure that their staff understands any rules when it comes to signing death certificates so that it doesn't have to be done twice unnecessarily. Things like that, just to shore up any inefficiencies to make their life easier and therefore yours too. In terms of Chaplains, I'd say very similar to social workers and nurses. They just want to make sure that the families are taken care of in a pretty holistic way, spiritually and and otherwise. But they all work together to make sure that a family is taken care of with their end-of-life experience. That's their job, and they take it seriously. Okay. How do you think you should treat hospice workers? Really good question, and I think the answer seems obvious, but I think it's good to always reiterate be nice, very, very nice, but even more 
important than being nice is being helpful. Go above and beyond for them and for the social workers, for the doctors, and for the nurses. Treat their issue or concern for the family as your own, especially when they haven't made a choice in funeral home. This will set your business apart from others. Don't try to sell them on anything on those calls. Provide credible, trustworthy information calmly and let the chips fall where they may. That is a credibility and trustworthiness approach that goes a long way over time to building that rapport with those workers. They will remember that you help them and that will grow your reputation in their hospice community, in their individual hospice interdisciplinary groups. And over time, that will germinate in their office and solidify your reputation at their organization. Yeah. And that that helps you in the long run to be in favor with that, that hospice yeah. and get you more families. Yeah, I remember when we talked to Donna, um, mm. she was very clear that hospice, hospice social workers, everyone that works at hospice does not really know about end of life as much as you would assume or think they do because they are so close to it, but they actually aren't part of that situation or that, that arrangement. Right. So a lot of what I was surprised about was how much she was thankful to you that she could call on you or Omega society at a time when a family has a question about funeral services, even though, you may not have been the right choice, but she was able to call on you as a resource to be the one that will answer questions about death care that she could feel comfortable coming to you mm-hmm. and being with your questions, even if maybe you don't talk to the family, but if she had questions, you were a source right. of truth for her so that she could come to you and, and feel that feel that comfort. You, you guys had that comfort level. Right, right. And that, that was so important for us to establish with hospice, chaplains, social workers, and nurses. A lot of them would they had my phone number they had the owner's phone number i give janet the owner a lot of credit for this because she really perpetuated this mentality towards hospice a great deal and it did us a great service it is a fundamental willingness to be helpful as a resource and a trusted resource regardless of who the family chooses for end-of-life care if you can be that to these hospice workers, then they will always remember and think of you when they need a question answered. If they enter, if they encounter a difficult scenario where they don't know how to handle it, which happens a lot. You know, you have hospices interacting in different counties. Each counties have different rules um, or other mortuaries are telling families a certain thing and it doesn't sound right to hospice and they have an agnostic source for the law to see actually what should be happening in that scenario. It's just, it's a good role to be in for your hospice community as the center of the, of that knowledge base. Yeah. So many funeral directors are probably listening and they're probably agreeing that, yeah, I would love to answer questions. I would love to be the resource for you know, hospices to call on when a family has a question or even when the hospice has a question, right? But how do you actually start to build that relationship, right? How do you actually structure and let them know that you are the one that that has that knowledge, that can be that resource? 
for them. Right. So the, the best way is to get in front of them. And you can choose to do this in person or virtually. We did a lot of hospice in services in person and some virtually. And this may be out of some people's comfort zone, but I recommend that you do it. I would Google, if you haven't already done this and don't know, Google hospices in my area with your funeral home as the geolocation and call however many you can per week and introduce yourself to the head of social work or an administrator. Tell them who you are, tell them what your business does and ask if they want to have an in-service with you so that you can educate their team on what's changing in the landscape of the funeral industry. Okay. So once you have something scheduled with a hospice team, you want to structure that in-service differently than you may think. I've seen some in-services or been part of panels where they have other funeral home directors come. And a lot of it involves the funeral home representative selling their services. And that I think is the wrong approach. They are used to funeral homes going in there and saying, hey, we're here. We're the best. Here's a really nice branded folder with our GPL and stuff in it for you to give to families. Again, here's why we're the best. Enjoy the muffins. Peace out. Um, My approach is to say in those face-to-face meetings, it is your opportunity to market your knowledge and credibility as a resource not to sell your services. It is way more impactful for these empathetic people who are helping grieving people every day to give them more hands-on resources to do their job better. And that's really what you're doing and what you want them to view you as during that in-service. Tell them how the landscape of the industry is changing and make yourself the resource to guide them. Bring hospice up to date with any changes in disposition options that family have at their disposal. Um, educate them on the pros and cons of those disposition options. We had, you know, organic water reduction. I'm sure they don't hear a lot about those service offerings. And I think if you bring that to them, then you can differentiate yourself from everyone else who's just marketing their services. Um, another thing that I like to prepare for hospices at in-services is a flyer that provides good questions for them to ask funeral directors when assisting a family. This provides uh, a rubric for vetting funeral homes for families. Do you have your own crematory? How far away is your crematory from your office? Um, Do you have a cemetery on site? Um, Do you have arrangement rooms on site? Is your storage facility on site? They don't know how physical mortuary offices and funeral homes are constructed. And these things might matter to families. So having kind of a, just a resource guide of impactful questions, getting those answers will make a family feel better about the decision they make ultimately when choosing a funeral home. A lot of 
What we also like to do is discuss any free or cost-effective options for families available in your area. Discuss body and tissue donations and your relationships with any of those organizations in allowing families to get cost-mitigated services or even services free of charge. Yeah. Also discuss if there are any options like that that may exist at the county level. You know, if, if the hospice operates in four counties in their state, perhaps one of those counties actually has funds dedicated to indigent cremations and provide hospices what those criteria are so that they can be proactive with their families about designating their recommendations and facilitating that at the time of of death. Yeah. I want to stop you right there before you go on, because I think an important thing that you've mentioned, especially in the last five minutes you've been talking, is you recommended talking about things that your funeral home probably doesn't even do. You're not Mm going to make money on body and tissue donation, county programs. I mean, maybe a little, but it's probably not worth your time to want to double down on that, right? NOR or alkaline hydrolysis, you probably aren't a facility right right now that has it available, but you still want to talk about that. And I think the main takeaway here is that instead of talking about things that only your business does, you are, you know, people don't like to be sold to, right? right? And essentially that's what you're trying to do, but people like to buy things from people that they trust. And so you're becoming a trusted resource instead of saying, Mm -hmm. here's, here's what I offer, sell this to, you know, our families. Yeah, exactly that. And and that is how I frame this entire relationship building process with hospice is if you establish yourself with your local hospices as that person and consistently provide that value to them, you build years of credibility and trust with those organizations and set yourself apart from everyone else in your community that are just trying to get the next case and get the next call. And from what I found personally is the type of person that's attracted to hospice work is much more responsive to this type of presentation than a traditional sales approach. It is just much, much better because it provides more value to them in their work day to day. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and a few other things that you can do in those in-services that will and, and again, I, I can acknowledge that some of this may sound counterintuitive to some professionals, but I watched so many hospice teams be overjoyed with what they were learning at these in-services and providing days and weeks of conversation for them at their IDG meetings. So it, ge- it generates conversation in their profession too and keeps you top of mind after you leave. So I think that Differences between counties was something that we encountered a lot. I mean, we're in SoCal, so the differences between LA County and Orange County were large, especially with, you know, what county services provided and what the differences were. Yeah. Also, like any type of logistical or operational value that you can add to, like if it's um, unique situations that you don't come across often, but very valuable information and action steps when you do. Like every hospice worker has had a family that they've been dealing with the patient and they don't have an advanced directive 
the person that's helping and paying for everything is a power of attorney. The person passes away and they end up not having any health care directive and there's no family to take care of that person's arrangements. So you have a person who's passed away and no one with the legal right to actually make disposition arrangements. You have someone willing to pay for disposition arrangements, but that's it. that person does not have the legal right to actually sign any paperwork. And then you have hospices in the middle, unsure of how to facilitate this. And that's when a funeral director who can tell you that, that oh, you need to go to LA Superior Court and apply for an ex parte document, which a judge will give this person to the right to control disposition. When a hospice worker hears that, like such a unique situation that happens one in 300 times, they're like, oh, wow, I'm so much more prepared going into the field today. Great. It's invaluable to them. And those are, there are tons of things that you know as a funeral director that you rarely encounter, but to a hospice worker, that's incredibly valuable and interesting information to them. Yeah. And then usually after a hospice in service, I always like to make sure they have ways of contacting us as a funeral home and with the explicit advice of even if a family is not a good fit for any of the services we offer, if you have a question about a law, a situation, a recommendation, anything at all, please call us. We'd be happy to talk it through with you at nauseum so that you can help that family, even if they don't choose us, especially if they don't choose us. It's no problem. And then I always like to offer them a tour of our facility. So you can, you go into their home and then you invite them into your home Mm -hmm. and that can kind of complete the loop of, oh, this person provided a lot of valuable information and then they come to your facility and they see the arrangement room that a family would meet you in. They see where your staff types death certificates. They see where you answer phones. They see your crematory, everything. And so when they are recommending a place to a family, they have a stronger connection with your funeral home because they've been there, walked through it, and they know what the family is going to see if they go. Yeah. So we all know that the hospice social worker position has such a high turnover rate. And I think just in general, a lot of hospice staff change. How Mm -hmm. often do you recommend or do you think about actually contacting hospice, redoing an in-service, having new information, trying to repackage that? Or or how often do you think you should, well, like what type of cadence do you think you should contact the hospices in your area? I think for a new business, it's important to reach out to every hospice you can find on the internet and get in with those as an in-service as soon as you're able to. And from there, I would say every one to two years, you can check in and see if they want you to come again and go from there. But my, my, my general advice is to, depending on how populated your area is, figure out how many hospices are in your area and, and within a radius and make sure that you call them however many a week you can and go through that, schedule whatever you can, go through those. And then whoever you didn't get on the first try, revisit them, call them again, reach out to them and say, hey, we had in services. 
we called about an in-service. You couldn't fit us in. We've done seven in-services since then. So we wanted to circle back and make sure that your team has the information that we've given to everyone else in our area. And then they'll say, oh, we don't want our team to be at an informational disadvantage compared to our competitors. Yeah. So let's bring you in. Got it. In your experience, how often do they have in-services? Infrequently. Infrequently. I imagine even less in the last couple of years. Yeah. Again, when we talked to Donna, we were also surprised at how few companies try to actually get in front of their team. She said it was like two and you were one of yeah. them. Yeah. 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 And it's like... And they're not a tiny office. No. Oh. No. And And again, it can't be like understated, they deal with our clients. It's the only thing that they do. Yeah, Hospitals do ER, outpatient, all of these things. Sure. No, nursing facilities house a lot of you know geriatrics, but this is a singular business that is dealing singularly with death and dying every day. Yeah. I think a, a good piece of information to remember is that it's easy for us as specialists or service providers to get very into the weeds with our business and our day to day. And Mm -hmm. as a funeral director, you go through an arrangement, you deal with death and dying every single day, you know, what goes on in a funeral home, you know, all of that. And then when you're approaching a, you know, anyone that's not in the industry or the profession, they literally have no idea what's going on. And so for you to assume that, even if they are around, mm-hmm. you know, death and dying, there's still going to be such a huge informational gap between what they yeah. know and understand and what you know and understand. And so you could almost not be, you can almost not give too much information to somebody in, in, no. in hospice. And they'll be like, Oh, I already know that. I think you can always bring yeah. new insights to them, new information, a new understanding that will help them better understand your business or, you know, the funeral industry as a whole. I had a kind of a weird analogy that I, after working in the business for like one or two years, and I was seeing how we were cultivating these hospice relationships. I was like, this is, this is like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. And we're just like taking, like just removing the drapes at the chocolate factory and just letting everybody in. And that, transparency went a long way. So it's like that credibility and trustworthiness and then combine that with your transparency in terms of like how we approach families with our pricing and things like that. That's a full circle and hospices responded very, very well to it, you know, and we were enthusiastic about it. We weren't sad or morbid. It's like, no, we're so proud that we get to offer this to our families, that we have four retorts, that we have a large cooler. This is how we help your families. Come on in and see see, see it all, you know, from the inside. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar when we try to sell pre-need plans to families. We invite them into the funeral home. We let them see, you know, you, you know, mm-hmm. I know there's a, there's a cemetery close by that puts on these like harvest festivals and gives mm-hmm. away free pumpkins every Halloween and, yeah, that's They're not great. telling you anything, but you're you're on the ground. You see it. You mm-hmm. see it yourself with that. And I think it's something very similar that you have to treat hospices like mm-hmm. you have to treat them as not customers, but like possibly potential customers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
it's really important that your team on death calls is extremely helpful and nice to the nurse in the field with that family. Number one, whoever's working on your death certificates, calling hospices to make sure they receive faxes or that they're on top of getting you causes of death or on top of having the doctor attest the death certificate. Be nice, be courteous, set deadlines, but be the fun one. Yeah. Like use their name, <laughs> you know, ask them how they are. Yeah. Let them know that they should be ready for another confirmation call in 30 minutes. Make it fun for them, mm-hmm. you know, be that person because they have people calling them for causes of death all yeah. day and they all sound rote. They all sound like they're just extracting information from them. So don't be that way with them. Yeah. You know, be different. You know, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. I mean, as you know, we have a lot of customers. Omega Society is or was one of the big ones. And, you know, as we talk to the owners and, and others, we at Parting Pro, we don't ever hear of a success story of these brands or cremation societies getting to the thousands without having a solid relationship with the hospices in their area. You just can't inorganically grow a business that big by just buying Google and just advertising on on Facebook. You have to have the Mm -hmm. other intangible Mm -hmm. relationships out there that do feed into your business in one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. In this business, particularly, it's a very people oriented business It's a very emotional business. And you have an entire industry dedicated to the empathetic care of end of life patients. So if you're in the end of life industry, it stands to reason that you and that industry should have a strong and good relationship. It doesn't replace a digital approach. It's not better than a digital approach, but it is a very, very good way to establish the relationships needed for consistent business in the industry. Oh yeah. It's definitely not the only way you need to market yourself and put yourself out there, but it is definitely one that is going to pay off. You are going to get an ROI. And exactly. And, and if one day, you know, your advertising costs double for whatever reason, at least you have a moat with these workers that will consistently provide clients to your funeral home that's helpful during the, if that should ever happen, you know, these are the real relationships that can provide that stable business, regardless of costs of acquisitions for customers. Yeah. Trust and goodwill will go a long way. Yeah. 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 Especially in this industry. And I think, I think it's good to combine, you know, tech savviness with your business savviness and relationship savviness. Are they all work together? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I really like this one. I think we should do this more often. Will? Yeah. I, I know you have a wealth of knowledge in your head, just sitting there. So, uh, yeah, I think we should <laughs> we should probably have a few more of these. I, I'm sure you can definitely talk on a bunch of different topics. If you do have a suggestion for us, though, please let us yeah. know. Um, you can email definitely. us, comment on the videos. We see it all. So. Yeah. Please reach out if there's anything you want Will to go over. Yeah, happy to. Happy to do deep dives into these niche things that not everyone thinks about all the time, but should be on funeral directors' minds in terms of you know growing their business and making their business relationships better. Yeah, I mean we get that all the time. We get questions like, how do yeah. I how do I grow this? How do I start this? And it's like, well, I mean, 
if you don't have yeah. a big budget, there's definitely resources that you need to contact to let them yeah. know. And yeah. I think, uh, I think the approach that you're saying is like letting them know what options are out there, letting them know, you know, what they can be doing, helping them, even if they don't expect that they're going to go to your you know, mm-hmm. funeral home. I'm sure you've helped tons of families in that regard. Oh, that yeah. Never saw again, never talked to again, but yeah. I'm sure that paid off in way more families after the fact with that social work that you yeah. helped with, right? Way more, way more, yeah. way more. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Will. Thank you for sharing. You got it. Um, you got it. Yeah. I think we'll do a bunch more. Like I said, if you have any suggestions, please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, otherwise, for the Direct Cremation Podcast, I'm Tyler Yamasaki, and this is... Will DeMichaelis. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you ever want to know more, please find us at directcremation.com. 